Welcome back to another episode of Stamped. I'm Sharice, your study abroad storyteller. Today we're joined by Jordan, an international education professional who studied abroad in Malaysia through the Fulbright program. We recorded this interview in May, and initially it was slated to release in late August for our fall 2020 season. But our discussions on COVID-19 and the development of virtual exchange seemed so timely that we decided to release it early. What we didn't know was just how timely other parts of our conversation would be. As the country continues to grapple with the recent deaths of African Americans due to systemic racism, protests, apologies, and requests for educational resources on anti-racism have filled every bit of media we consume. The sentiment shared in this episode regarding the importance of exchange as to a way we can break down stereotypes and gain insights into the lives of others are critically important to the conversations in the U.S. and around the globe. So without further ado, I bring you a chat from the field with Jordan hawkins Welcome to the show, Jordan. Well, we will just start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Jordan Hawkins Rippey, uh, born in Delaware, but raised in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and I'm living in Kansas City now, uh, working at an insurance company. Specifically, I do international student health insurance with a focus on the inbound and incoming international students coming here to study, and then also servicing the outbound or outgoing students on the uh, education abroad side. And so for anyone who might be listening and anyone who might be listening who knows the NAFSA regions, uh, I cover NAFSA regions two and three. So that's pretty much the uh, the Midwest, a little slight west of um, your states like um, Illinois and uh, the Dakotas. So Utah, okay. Arizona, New Mexico, and a couple other ones. So I service those and I work with the colleges and universities um, in that territory. Okay, thank yeah. you. Well, thank you again for joining. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Jordan and I actually met on a webinar about yes. re- remote work. And so you never know where these networks and connections will come from. So I'm so glad we got to connect today. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Well, one of the things as a tourism researcher, uh, and specifically one who focuses on like Black travel, I'm always really interested in the early travel experiences of my guests. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what travel was like for you growing up? Yeah, so I would say that um, in terms of it being a priority, I think my family wanted to expose me to uh, different travel opportunities. But in terms of going abroad, I had not yet engaged in those specific opportunities. And so a lot of my travel was relegated to cruise ship travel, you know, for, for oh, a lot. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm a big lover of cruises. And hopefully once, you know, everything passes, I can go ahead and book my uh, my cruise for, for next year, hopefully. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it hadn't been it hadn't been really a, a space where. I had been going abroad. So really the Bahamas was really where the travel experiences um, had been relegated. And a lot of people, you know, even knowing my story, they asked, well, where have you been, you know, prior to, you know, Fulbright and some of these other experiences? And I think that's the beauty of, uh, that's the beauty of my story is that 
I always had this innate desire to engage with multifaceted individuals who span different geographic boundaries, but I didn't necessarily you know, have those experiences uh, growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's a, a great lead into um, when you went to college, I take it then study abroad was not necessarily on the forefront or was it? Yeah. So I attended um, Hampton University, HBCU in Virginia, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I was a business management major and I minored in leadership studies. And I would say that I saw a lot of brochures and flyers come in my email from the international office talking about, you know, study here for spring break in Jamaica, or we're going to Costa Rica to do a service learning trip. But something Mm. inside of me, uh, I guess I just didn't really take the opportunity to pursue any of those study abroad experiences. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting because uh, a lot of other students, you know, students will typically take their, you know, JYA or junior year abroad, or they might do something uh, their senior year, kind of just to wrap up before they, you know, get out in the real world and uh, begin working. But that hadn't really uh, occurred to me, at least my freshman, sophomore, and junior year. And it wasn't until my my senior year that I really started to think about, you know, if I'm going to be a, a leader, especially in this this world that's so interconnected and interdependent, I need to have a thorough understanding of how global diversity works and then a thorough understanding of how some of these different pieces uh, move and operate and, and interlock in terms of the work that I would do in business. And so I became more interested uh, towards the latter part of my time at Hampton. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'll tell you, things like that really clicked when I moved abroad and started working abroad mm-hmm. and just learning about those locales from, you know, my coworkers was really interesting and kind of put a lot of pieces together that I think for a lot of students, it may be difficult to do just sitting in a classroom, you know, so. Right. And I, I think now the, you know, especially amidst COVID-19, I think we're learning to adapt to some of those models of virtual exchange. It's, Mm-hmm. It's something, you know, as you know, as an international educator, something that's relatively new. Um, but I even tell people, you know, in the field who ask my opinion on it, I say that the chief aim of exchange is to facilitate mutual understanding and promote and espouse ideas that are meant to uplift the global community. And I think mm-hmm. there's still a space, there's still a space in virtual exchange to be able to do that, albeit not as pronounced as, you know, person to person or direct exchange. I think that that chief aim of building that that cultural competency is still there. I've been really thinking about this notion of, of the development of virtual exchanges or internships and just wondering how students are taking to those opportunities. Sure. Um, yeah, and I think it's going to be a bit of restructure in terms of how we market those. Sure. Um, yeah, but I've kind of been shifting my own thoughts into how that could really be beneficial, especially in a if you think about like diversity and inclusion, and maybe that's an opportunity to fill some gaps. Right. Yeah, I think um, you know one of the things as 
even being in the field of international education, I think it's beautiful for young people to be able to pursue study abroad experiences because what it allows that individual to do or that student to do is to bring their full and authentic selves and their full and authentic identity to that host country. And it allows Mm -hmm. individuals and the communities in that host country to glean relevant insights into the narratives of people that identify as such. And right. Yeah. So that that's something that is is amazingly unique, I think, about study abroad in of itself. Excellent points. Thank you for sharing those. So I want to jump back to our earlier part of our conversation when you said, you know, you remember seeing the emails and flyers. And that's a consistent theme I've I've found with other folks that I've interviewed Mm -hmm. and that they kind of had this idea, but like just kind of ignored. Do you remember what kind of made you not pursue those at, at before? Yeah, you know, I think when I was a freshman and even when I was a soft, sophomore and I thought about business management, you know, my major, I don't think I was mm-hmm. as internationally minded mm-hmm. as, I, as I was in the latter years of my time at Hampton. So I thought okay. of business management in a very, very narrow and kind of hidebound type of way where I said, why would I need to pursue a study abroad experience to land an internship at, you know, a big four accounting firm? Or why, why would I need to, why would I deter the route and take something that possibly would not be a financial payoff or help me financially in the long run? So I, I was very, I think I was very narrow-minded in terms of how a study abroad experience would contribute to what I was ultimately at Hampton for. Um, but the more, the more that I grew in terms of seeing the world as interconnected and seeing citizens engage from host countries um, around the world in different ways that could impact a bottom line of a business and the way that business is done, I knew that I could no longer stand on the sidelines of the global economy and not know what was happening elsewhere. I knew that I would be at a disadvantage if I was not intentionally engaging with what was going on with my global brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. And I think having that shift occur allowed me to not only develop more of a globally minded business acumen, but it also allowed me to develop this this empathy for uh, my global brothers and sisters as well that was not previously uh, tapped into. And I think that brings to mind like what, how our uh, academic coursework plans are laid out in terms of what exposure are students getting to areas that are outside of the United States and how those curricular connections could be a natural driver to, you know, an office of global engagement or international education given the campus. So I think those are really good points that you brought up. Yeah. So take us to the day that you found out about Fulbright. How did this unfold? Yeah. So 
I'll start before I before saying how I found out about it and all of the you know emotions that were running. I I I would be remiss if I didn't say you know who was pivotal in in helping me in that journey to get there. Okay. And so um, a guy, Dr. Carlton Long, himself a Rhodes Scholar, uh, he has a company where he consults with different students at HBCUs on a wide range of uh, prestigious fellowships is, is what, you know, he categorizes them as. So your Boren, Mitchell, Marshall, Udall, Gilman, Fulbright, Schwarzman, uh, the entire, you know, gamut of those type of scholarships, both he and uh, Dr. Saban Duncan, they really saw within me the potential to go and engage different uh, individuals, diverse individuals on a uh, much larger scale. So he came to campus, my, Dr. Long came to campus my junior year and I had never heard of Fulbright. Uh, I certainly hadn't heard of, you know, the Gilman or Mitchell uh, Rhodes. And I was like, wow, this is an entirely different world that I don't know about. People are getting these scholarships and they're going off to, (laughs) they're going off to, you know, do great things. And um, it was just something I wasn't, wasn't privy to. But it was something about Fulbright that I, when I read about it and saw the mission, I said, God has been preparing me my entire life for an experience like this. And it was something that, you know, that, the Bible says, you know, you know, your gift will make room for you. It was something I had this feeling about that just said, pursue Fulbright and focus on Fulbright because that is where I want you to, to shine. And so I applied, um, you know, I applied in October of my senior year to Thailand. I became a semifinalist in, I think, February of spring semester of my senior senior year and I did not get it I became an alternate actually so I was an alternate for Thailand and I felt devastated you know um yeah I felt like I let down my community the HBCU community you know I felt like I let down um but then the Institute of International Education later that year in August came back to me and this is coming full scale to uh to the day I found out they emailed me and said, we want to update you about your candidacy. And at first I said, well, they're not going to, they're not going to, you know, call me or send me messaging to tell me I got rejected. You know, that'd be a waste of a, waste right. of a phone call. And so I got on the phone and, you know, they essentially said, um, you know, we know you applied to Thailand, but would you be interested in Malaysia? And, <laughs> you know, much like a lot of other wait lists, I'm sure they may have just gone you know, right down to the next person if I said no. So I enthusiastically said, yes, you know, I, it, it came back full circle. And um, yeah, I mean, that emotional exhilaration, I was the first Fulbright Scholar at Hampton in 44 years. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Yes, thank you. And so that, that that's amazing. you know, having that feeling, I knew it wasn't about me. It was about the Hampton community. It was about everyone that poured into me, you know, to get to that point. It was about having, you know, the African-American narrative, specifically the African-American male narrative and be represented, mm. 
you know, to a wider community. So um, it was a blessing. It was a blessing that day. That's wonderful. Yeah, I know that's one of the things that is a, a common thread, too, that I'm, I see in terms of the statistics when we look at participation um, overall and then participation of our minority students. And yeah. that's one that I don't think gets talked about as much as it probably should. Um, so I'm, you know, again, just another reason that I'm so glad we were able to connect and to have the opportunity to share your story on here. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so now we have decided Malaysia, what were the reactions of your family, friends? What were they thinking? Yeah. So literally after I found out I was inundated with, with paperwork, uh, coming in my email, different task items, you know, through, uh, you know, IIE and their portal. Um, it was a ton of a ton of work, but I said, okay, paperwork can wait. Let me notify everybody. So I was at my, I was actually in Bowie, Maryland at uh, mm-hmm. my friend's house and I ran downstairs and I'm like, bro, this is, that was the call. And like, we went and celebrated <laughs> uh, a little bit and then I called my parents and they were like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Um, you know, call my friends, call Dr. Long, Dr. Duncan. And I mean, it was, I got swept up in this just whirlwind of, of all. That's all I can really say. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was something, you know, I cried for a long time and I said, this is when something is really for you, you know, there will be a way, you know, you know, there will be a way made for you. And I knew that I belonged in that space in some in some form or fashion. I knew that I belonged in a space engaging multifaceted and diverse individuals. And that was the that was the time to shine. So um, and what was your prep like before going to Malaysia? Yeah, so uh, we got a lot of documentation in terms of you know, what things will look like in terms of the religion. You know, obviously Malaysia is a predominantly um, Islamic country. Uh, so we got a lot of information on that, a lot of information specifically on the different regions uh, within Malaysia. Mm-hmm. We had Facebook groups that were set up for, you know, facilitation of current Fulbrighters and past Fulbrighters to engage with us, um, you know, incoming ones to talk about any qualms that we may have uh, about the experience, you know, cultural type of situations that we may encounter, uh, you know, as male, female, mm-hmm. uh, and just a just a really supportive uh, outpouring of advice, I would say, was followed by you know me being notified that I had received it. So, and they 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 poured so sure. much information into us. Uh, through that and just through informal sessions as well. Mm -hmm. Were there any considerations you had about uh, being black and traveling abroad? You know, that was, that was something that was more of an ancillary qualm for me or, or secondary, if you will. I, I heard the things about, you know, being black and, and traveling abroad. And now even working in the international education space, a lot of the concerns of, you know, black students who travel abroad, they're rising from funding sources. 
just, you know, conceptions about experiencing racism in that particular area. And otherwise, Mm -hmm. a lot of those feelings um, I didn't really encounter. You know, it was a it was a calmness that I had um, going into this, going into, you know, the situation. Great. Okay, so now we are in Malaysia. Take us through the some of those experiences. Yeah, so I'll talk about uh, in general. You know, the the thing that drives me now is developing intercultural competencies, right? And so what I have seen is a student may have the theoretical background and understanding of a country or international relations, uh, you know, any of those type of disciplines. But there is a different set of qualifications when it comes to your soft skills and ability to actually go abroad and engage those individuals. And so Mm -hmm. I saw varying levels of intercultural competence within my cohort. So me coming on board, you know, I'm thinking, you know, this is the Fulbright cohort and everybody is culturally competent, you know, to a, a high degree. But I realized that that was not something that was present. You know, there were varying levels of intercultural competencies uh, exhibited, which is something that I had to take inventory of and take a step back and say, well, how, how does theory translate? to practice and how can we facilitate the actual competencies so that people can do their jobs more efficient, you know, more efficiently and a lot better. And this is something that I, Mm -hmm. this is something that um, it was less of a frustration and more of a, how can I help in that facilitation of those cross-cultural competencies? And so that's something, you know, while I was there was kind of a, a lower point, I would say, in terms of trying to get other members to understand how to do that. Uh, but in terms of the high point, I was able to celebrate uh, Ramadan with my community. And, you know, mm-hmm. that fasting period, you know, me fasting with my uh, community and my students and teachers, not only did that solidify the trust that I was building upon, you know, in those spaces, but it also allowed Mm -hmm. me to have an interfaith dialogue with my local community, you know, myself uh, identifying Mm -hmm. as Christian. uh, I realized inherently that, you know, both me as a Christian and my community as Muslims, you know, Abrahamic faiths uh, present for both religions, but I was able to to dialogue, okay, what does it look like to fast as a Christian? What does it look like to to fast as a Muslim? And through those conversations and through me sharing in something that is sacred to them, I was able to establish that trust and I think be a better cultural ambassador on behalf of the United States and be, and on behalf of, uh, you know, African-Americans as well. A great experience. 
now that you're back and working in uh, international education um, and an alum of the Fulbright program, I know you've become quite passionate about in ensuring that others are, number one, just aware of this opportunity. Talk with us a little bit about those experiences now that you've returned. Yeah, so I've been extremely intentional about promoting Fulbright to HBCUs now that I've returned. And so I've worked informally with a, a wide number of HBCUs around the country. Um, you know, usually doc, Dr. Long will refer any prospective applicants to me just to kind of get a read on, you know, what they're doing and how, you know, they want to proceed in terms of uh, going about a Fulbright grant. And the thing is, it doesn't, for me, it hasn't stopped necessarily with, H, you know, at HBCU students. I've had people of all backgrounds reach out to me who genuinely want to know about pursuing this experience and what that will look like. So I've been doing um, informal consulting on that front, but I've also been very intentional about the internationalization of the HBCU campus as well, um, because there are, you know, if NAFSA, if the annual conference had taken place this year, I would have, um, you know, presented it in person now that it's been moved virtually, but I would have been presenting in person uh, my poster where I outline strategies on how Fulbright has specific programs that are geared towards MSIs and more specifically HBCUs to internationalize the, the HBCU campus. And so that's been something else I've been um, very intentional in promoting. And I've also worked with uh, mm -hmm. IIE, you know, to help get publications out there um, about how do we, how do we increase diversity, you know, from the HBCU applicant pool to some of these programs. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been a lot that's been happening. I'm a United Nations Association fellow out here in, uh, you know, the greater Kansas City chapter. And I'm also starting a Fulbright uh, chapter out here in Kansas City as well for the Fulbright Association. So there's, yeah, it's, oh, it's just been a, it's been, I've decided to focus in on that. And having that focus has allowed me to have those doors opened, has allowed me to just pour out into others what I'm truly passionate about. You know, it's something yeah. people want want to hear because uh, as the field becomes increasingly more diverse, um, you know, people yeah. are wanting to know how do we send our students to uh, some of these places and how do we engage them in such a way that makes them feel comfortable, makes them... Um, want to, you know, engage others in a way that gets the narrative out there. But then also upon re-entry, you know, back into the United States, not just sitting on an experience, but how do you share this experience with other mm -hmm. members of, you know, your community so that they can in turn uh, yeah. go out and do it. So becoming cultural ambassadors of your experience, I think is what, what is paramount now and what I've been trying to focus on. Definitely, I, I think a need there for broader exposure for our students. So I think the work that you're doing is absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. 
In thinking about the work that you do for uh, students who may be interested or trying to help them shape their stories as they return from these study abroad experiences, could you share some tips perhaps for returners on how to incorporate these experiences into, say, a job interview? We literally had a session on this towards the end of our grant in Fulbright because oh. after you know a student comes from studying abroad, they come back now and they're you know looking in the job market and they're trying to figure out, well, how do I translate some of these skills that I learned here, or how do I translate this experience into something tangible that an employer will be able to see value in? And so one of the one of the mm-hmm. things that I focus on primarily is any projects or project management that you have done within that capacity studying abroad. You know, for me as an English teaching assistant, we worked with uh, you know the U.S. Embassy there in in Kuala Lumpur to get you know embassy funding for our students and help facilitate programs. So, you know, in that one example alone, mm-hmm. you have elements of uh, you know, project management, you have elements of coordinating across uh, a wide, you know, spectrum of different people. Um, you have elements of budgeting, elements, of, you know, so these right. these different things and primarily I focus it in on projects because I think everyone um, I would hope at least while they are studying abroad, engages in some type of, you know, project, um, large or small, and, you know, it'll vary in nature. But if you're focusing on, you know, actionable things that you did while you were studying abroad, I think an employer will be able to to see that value, not only from, because I think there's inherent value Mm -hmm. in the fact that, you know, from an employer standpoint, you now are more marketable to their clientele. You know, you're you're able now to to be sent maybe to an international location on assignment. You know, if you're at a you know global consulting firm, you may now have an assignment in an area where you studied abroad, uh, coming you know right in the gate because you have the connections there and you're able to mm. engage in that culture and do business. And so I think that's that's more the the inherent value, but the uh, the more tangible, I guess, you know, values that might come or an employer might see, you can definitely draw upon uh, your service experience during your study abroad, you know, opportunities. So I think people should just really focus on on that area. Thank you. That's a great tip. I like that. Well, do you have any? final words for our stamped community anything you um think we didn't cover that you'd Um, like to share you know i think people right now and i think this was a this was a wonderful opportunity to you know kind of put my story out there but um more you know more about the viewers i would encourage anybody that is you know listening or anybody that will listen in the future to really pursue pursue what makes you you know happy and i know i know it's such a cliche term but do that and follow what you're gifted at you know there you have the most you have the Mm. most chance you know i think for success in doing what you're naturally gifted at 
in the way to you know a way to find that is mm-hmm. you don't go to school to learn your gift that's been given to you but you go to school to refine it so if you can think about what is it that i you know naturally do well that comes to me with the, you know with the least amount of effort that's your gift and you know your gift will make room for you so when you're in situations where you know you may not need the credentials of you know or the standard credentials for that space your gift may allow you to you know still occupy that space even without that because you shine so brilliantly that they have no they have no reason but to not ignore you you know because you just shine so brilliantly with your gift and so i would just say um pursue your gift let it set your heart ablaze and uh get to work <laughs> Well, I will close out this amazing interview the way we close out all of them and just let our audience know (laughs) you've been stamped. Thank you, Sharice. I appreciate it.